Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, joined, as always, for our weekly Penn State chat by Seth Engel of the Post-Gazette and the Daily Collegian. Um, Seth, Penn State wraps up the regular season with a big win at Michigan State, 42-0. Dominates. Not sure there's a whole whole lot to talk about from that game, so we're going to get into some offensive coordinator talk who are the the candidates that, that Penn State should be looking at that James Franklin should be considering um, as he you know builds his builds his Rolodex and and starts doing the Zoom interviews that he teased in the post game on um, on Friday Black Friday. Um, we're gonna get into all of that, but Seth, uh, how are you? I'm doing well. It's a weird week because it's the first week without my kind of typical weekly schedule with football. Um, Detroit was great. Ford Field is a phenomenal stadium if you ever have the chance to make it over there. Um, indoors, press box is open. There's no windows. So, like, I hate when it's, like, soundproof. Like, you know, at Ohio State, how it's, like, the soundproof windows. Like, you don't know when the game's starting. Um, there are no windows at all at Ford Field. So, that was a cool experience. Um, but, yeah, happy to be back here. You know, semi-transitioning to coordinator, off-season transfer portal stuff. And, you know, doing some basketball as well. So, can't complain. Yes, excited to dig into all of that. Before we do, Seth, just uh, want to remind our viewers that our primary sponsor for this episode and all episodes of the Penn State Podcast is Voodoo Brewing and State College. Just in time for the change in weather, the crew at Voodoo Brewing and State College, located right off College Avenue at 201 Elmwood Street, has launched their new seasonally-inspired line of cocktails, including the crowd-favorite hot-spiked apple cider. And that's not all. Their new um, State College Pub kitchen is now open, opened in October, it is now owned and operated by Voodoo Brewing Company and features elevated pub fare made famous at, at their other Voodoo locations. They will also continue to offer items like the lobster roll and crab cake sandwich that have become synonymous with the State College pub. So make sure you get to Voodoo Brewing in State College. Seth, um, I'm just going to throw out name, 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 and we'll just keep analyzing um, whether they fit with Penn State. Um, I think we should start with Jaywan Sider and, and Ty Howell after – Penn State, you know, really looked pretty great against Michigan State. Um, you know, some some deep throws from Drew Aller. The running backs kind of dominate, um, find the holes that they had not all season. Um, what are the chances do you think that James Franklin's giving those guys a, a real look, especially considering how important Cider in particular has been to this program from a recruiting standpoint? He's very well regarded within the industry as, as an assistant coach. Um, is he a name that, that you don't want to let get away? Because I think if you say, well, we're not going to – if you're saying that you're you're limited and you can't become offensive coordinator in this program even after you've taken over the play calling duties to some degree, I mean, isn't that an invitation for him to go somewhere else? That would be my concern if, if I'm James Franklin. I think you have to take it into consideration, especially after the last week. You know, I think starting out with Rutgers, which is a good defense, is – uh, an extremely difficult test for any interim offensive coordinator trying to kind of figure it out and put pieces together. But at, at Michigan State, they really found the groove and showcased an explosiveness that we hadn't seen previously. You know, maybe maybe in that Maryland game, but outside of that, I, I don't think that that explosiveness was really there at all. Um, and then maybe West Virginia in the season opener. But I, I think Jaywan Sider is a guy who's, you know, second longest tenure on James Franklin's staff. He's a guy James knows pretty well, wants to keep around. Um, it's just a matter of whether, you know, they believe he's ready to take that next step as a play caller. Like, we know what he can do as a recruiter. He's continuously brought in some, you know, highly rated recruits. 
um, whether they're running backs or just kind of standout prospects from Florida or in and around the South. Um, he's a guy that you you really value on your staff. Um, Ty Howell's a, a name who, you know, has as much less coaching experience than Cider does, but uh, you know, he's, he's done pretty well in two weeks. You know, and I, if I'm, if I'm, you know, I believe the case is that Howell is running the pass game and Cider is probably working more primarily with the running backs. Um, but that balance seemed to work, you know, extremely well on Saturday where it wasn't just explosiveness in the air. Like, yeah, we saw Drew Aller launch some, you know, 50 yarders and 60 yarders, but it was also explosiveness on the ground. Um, you know, Katron Allen, Nick Singleton breaking off for 50 yard rushes. Like that's something we hadn't seen this whole year. Um, and that, that came to light on Saturday. So I think, yeah, you have to put them into consideration. Yeah, I, I think you have to give a long, hard look. And I, like I said, I, I don't know that you want to lose a guy like Cider. So uh, this might be the only way to keep him. You never know how that that kind of works out. Um, if you close doors, does a guy want to stay? Um, so that's, I, I think, definitely part of the math. Um, the other big name that, that people are really throwing out there, Seth, is Joe Moorhead. Um, obviously the author of, of two of the better Penn State offenses of our lifetimes um, with Trace McSorley, Mike Kosicki, Chris Godwin, Saquon Barkley, all those guys, um, you know, he's he's probably one of the few offensive coordinators that that people have a lot of, of really good feelings for, you know, you're going all the way back to Frank Ganner. Um, so where do you where do you land on his candidacy? I will say I'm I'm slightly negative on him, given the personnel that they are trying to win with right now, which is Drew Aller. Um, I don't know that Drew Aller's play style fit, you know, and, and, and skill set matches what Joe Moorhead did well here with Trace McSorley. Um, I kind of, and I'll, I'll say this, I think if you bring in Joe Moorhead, you look at a guy like Bo Pergul and say, that's the quarterback for this system. Um, I, I feel like it's not a hire you can make unless you're ready to move on from, from Drew Aller, which is, I don't know, it's a conspiracy theory I've kind of brought up before that I, I wonder if, if maybe that's the way that James Franklin wants to go, given the praise he's heaped on Bro Perbula, um, it, it just seems incompatible with, with what they have right now, though. I think they're going to continue to play both, no matter who they bring in. I mean, Bo Perbula is a guy who's, you know, oddly enough, scored six or seven touchdowns this year. So he's been used um, specifically, you know, the past couple of weeks. But I think you're right. You know, Joe Moorhead's a guy who, um, you know, he worked very well with, with Trace McSorley, a good dual-threat quarterback who could leave the pocket at times, but also, you know, launch it deep. Um, but I think Drew Aller is an interesting quarterback to where he does have the potential to, to create maybe some explosiveness on the ground, um, just based on his size and ability to potentially break tackles, um, but also mesh that with his, with his big arm. So I don't think that, that you can completely rule out Joe Moorhead working well with, with Drew. Um, I think that it's a possibility. I think, that the most important thing is kind of alignment with the coordinators and Franklin. And we know that Joe Moorhead and, and James have that um, considering the fact that they won a big 10 championship together. Um, Joe Moorhead was the offensive coordinator the last time they beat Ohio state. Um, you know, you can make the argument all you want that, you know, Penn state did have some pretty great talent and Chris Godwin and, and uh, Saquon Barkley, Trace McSorley, um, and really throughout that receiving core. Um, but, you know, I think, I think that Moorhead has shown the ability to coach at, you know, multiple levels and he has experience in Mississippi state and um, Oregon too, which is joining the big 10 next year. So he knows what it's like to play a PAC 12 defense. 
Um, there are a number of things that I think make sense. Um, but to your point, I mean, there there are other things that maybe come into question when considering whether it's a fit with Drew. Yeah, and I, like we've talked about Drew Ballard's mobility on here. I do. I think he can, you know, move a little bit and, and make some plays with his legs, like we saw at times this year. Absolutely. Do I look at him and, and want to see him run the kind of RPO stuff that Joe Moorhead, you know, was running? Is is that what I think best suits his skill set? Not really. Um, and and I think that's that's the big hang up is is right. sure he has the capability, but do you want him to be doing that stuff as regularly as Trace McSorley was in that offense? Um, of course, you know, to your point, maybe maybe Joe Moorhead can can adjust and and figure out, you know, with his proven creativity, a way to use a guy like Drew Aller. Um, it's just I have to see it to believe it, and and I don't know that we're quite there yet for me. Um, another name that I think a lot of people know locally and is quite popular for his work at Pitt is Brennan Marion. Um, he's working at UNLV right now. Obviously, the the top line of his CV is. Um, that explosive offense at Pitt where he was the receivers coach, um, coached up Jordan Addison into a Bolitnikoff winner, worked closely with Kenny Pickett, who's now um, you know running the Steelers offense. Um, a little bit more of, of the, the classic pocket passer, a little bit more in the, in the mold, I think, um, than what we're talking about with Joe Moorhead. Do you have interest in Brennan Marion um, or, or is it maybe a little too soon for him? He's, he's 36 years old, so he's Definitely a young candidate for a job of, of this level. Marion's definitely a fast riser, you know, since he kind of left that pit job. Um, he's been an OC for one year, though. Um, he's 36 years old. I think he's well-respected um, throughout the country and probably will land a Power 5 job relatively soon. I just do not see this as a fit. I, I see 2024 as a year that Penn State needs to find instant success, and I don't see them, you know, potentially – making an experiment with a, with a coach who's never really left the group of five um, as a coordinator. So I, I don't think right now would be the best time to bring in a guy like that. I think they're better off bringing in a guy who's maybe had some head coaching experience in the past, um, has, you know, coordinating experience at the very least at the power five level um, and is able to, you know, maybe, maybe with Marion's skill set as a, as an explosive threat, um, kind of all those things in one, I think, is what Franklin's looking for in this guy. Yeah, I, I think I've seen a report suggesting that Penn State definitely wants to talk to him. I think that's that's definitely a name that you should have on, on the list. Um, but, yeah, I think the experience factor and where Penn State is as a program definitely – he seems like a guy that you would want to – if you were going to maybe elevate Jawan Sider or, or Jawan Sider and then, you know, bring in uh, uh, kind of that hot assistant to kind of take his place on the staff – um, you know, that, that kind of seems like the move you'd want to make is, is bring him in in an assistant role where he has a chance to grow, um, have a big role in an offense, but not necessarily be completely responsible for it. Um, you know, he, he's someone I might look more at in, in that way than, than just diving right in with, um, you know, hiring him as an offensive coordinator. But you never know. It's, it, it's also once once you have these fast risers, sometimes programs just want to get in on the ground floor. And and if you really believe in the guy's future, then then maybe you just invest in him sooner rather than later. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how James Franklin handles that. Um, Sean Lewis from Colorado is, an, is a name that we've talked about um, a couple of times in the past. Um, we can just kind of go through that quickly, Seth. Where, where do you think he fits in this? I think Sean Lewis is, is still a great fit. Um, and I was looking at Syracuse to maybe bring him in. I know they, they hired Fran Brown on Monday. 
Um, but Sean Lewis was a coordinator at Syracuse. Um, he had history there. Um, he also has five years of head coaching experience. So it kind of made sense to maybe bring him in, but they didn't. Um, so Sean Lewis is still, um, you know, unofficially on the open market after he was demoted by Colorado, which is a program now, you know, in turmoil, losing all their commitments. This is not a program that I think you'd want to be a part of. Um, they're having coaches resign. And um, this all comes after, you know, Dion basically demoted um, a few members of the offensive coaching staff, Lewis being one. So I think, you know, Lewis has that regional tie. Um, he has the head coaching experience. He has the explosiveness. He really checks all the boxes that I've been kind of laying out that I think Penn State has, has really been uh, been searching for. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, compared to where we when we first talked about him, I think there was a little bit more shine on that Colorado program where you'd say, oh, why can't he make it work there? Whereas now I think you're starting to see the evidence of why it, it might be tough for, for someone to work there. And I think it makes him – him look a little bit better in contrast. Um, a couple other names, Seth, that Audrey Snyder from The Athletic threw out. Tim Cramsey from Memphis and then Mike Denbrock from uh, LSU, obviously doing a lot of work with Jaden Daniels. Um, either of those names interest you as, as candidates? Uh, are they on the fringe of this conversation for you or should they be in, in the center of it? I'm not too familiar with the uh, with the Memphis guy. Um, you know, it's interesting that that was included. I, I'm not sure exactly what the fit would be. Um, but you can't really rule anything out. You know, there's there going to be names that kind of pop up. I think um, a lot of it, too, is is Franklin maybe doing his due diligence, um, like maybe he's doing with Marion. You know, if there's a guy, I don't know how serious you maybe are, are considering someone for the coordinator position, but it's still worth something to chat. Um, and that might be the case with the Memphis guy, or maybe they pull the plug. Um, I haven't heard too many rumblings there. As for Denbrock, um, I just don't. I don't see him leaving LSU. I mean, that's like uh, it's Franklin talks about all the time, trying to limit those lateral moves um, where a coach leaves his post as an assistant coach at Penn state and goes to another program to be an assistant coach. LSU is a dominant enough program where I don't think like you would leave LSU to go to Penn state or vice versa. So that just doesn't make too, too much sense to me, but like if he's available, you know, absolutely you know, take a shot at him and try to pull him in. I just don't, I just don't see that being the case. Yeah. And he, I think he has ties with, with um, Brian Kelly going back to, to Notre Dame. So it just seems like it would be a weird, you're right. Like kind of lateral move to, you know, a, a different caliber program. I don't, I don't think so. I, I'd rather stay at LSU if I was, if, if I was him as well. Um, and, and I think he's going to have options too, to maybe, you know, move up as, as a head coach at some point, given the success he's had with Daniels this year and how he's put himself on the radar. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's probably on the, on the fringe of this conversation. A couple guys who've been fired in the last few days, Seth, uh, I don't think we're on any initial list because they weren't necessarily available, but Frank Reich fired early this week by the Carolina Panthers. He's still, I think a pretty well-respected offensive mind. Um, you know, in football as an industry. And then Dana Holgerson, the former West Virginia coach, more recently of um, Houston, pretty well regarded for his work on the offensive side as well. Do either of those names interest you or is there anyone else um, in the in the realm of people who've recently become available that that you're looking at and saying, hey, maybe maybe that's worth a phone call or a Zoom meeting for James Franklin? I think Holgerson would make more sense than, than Frank Reich. 
Um, but I think both of them, you know, could potentially be considered. You know, Holgerson's a guy who has really coached all across the country, um, you know, making a name for himself at West Virginia, where he coached for, I believe, close to eight seasons. Um, so he has, you know, a ton of experience at the head coaching position um, in an area that Penn State recruits pretty heavily. You know, that's that's their region is West Virginia, you know, East Coast, Midwest, uh, maybe a little south as well as where they've been kind of heading. Um, and, and I think Holgerson also has that experience coaching in Texas and, and other parts of the south um, that Penn State really hasn't um, recruited too successfully in. Um, but that's obviously not the concern, recruiting. Um, that's that's where Penn State has done pretty well in. Um, the problem is, is you know, on the field, play calling. Um, but I think that he's, you know, he's had an extensive career as a coordinator. He's had success. He's moved up the chain. Um, and, I, and I do think that he checks boxes. As for Reich, no college experience. You know, he, he's a native, knows the area. But it's a whole different game, you know, coaching in the NFL and, and coaching in college. Um, I just don't know if that's, you know, maybe the right fit right now. But I think maybe consider him for an analyst position if that's available. If he doesn't have a job, you know, um, in the next few months, bring him in in that in that regard. Um, but surely, like some conversations, you know, have some conversations. And that's that's what part of this is all about. It's it's networking in a way. Seth, where does Danny O'Brien fit into all of uh, this? I, I mean, He's at the GA level. He's not going to step in and be offensive coordinator, but he's still very, you know, popular with these young quarterbacks. Um, done a lot of great work. Um, where do you think he he settles out in, in finding a place with this Penn State program? Because I, I think he's a guy you can't let go, regardless of who you hire at offensive coordinator. Yeah, you mentioned you know Marion as a guy to step in and maybe be in um, a different type of offensive role other than coordinator. Um, and you know, I was thinking that's going to be Danny O'Brien. You know, he's a grad assistant right now. He's really climbed up the, the charts. Um, he was an analyst last year, grad assistant. I think the next step for him is going to be quarterbacks coach. Um, I think that that's that's what he's been in the interim. Um, obviously, it was relatively successful in his second week on the job. Um, he also, you know, is an on-field, not necessarily play caller, but he's an on-field voice. Um, and he is constantly in Drew Aller's ear. You know, they have a good rapport together. Um, so I think you have to keep him around. You know, as long as Aller's there, I think Danny O'Brien has to be there as well. Um, and I think he, he's uh, worthy of a promotion. I think he's going he's gonna to be a quick riser. Um, and, and pretty soon he will probably be a coordinator and maybe even a head coach one day. Yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to, to see play out because you, you got to pay attention to the guys you have in house too. And 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 I know that you know if you, if anyone's paying attention, you know that that these quarterbacks love this guy um, and and want to stay here. I think in part to be with him. Um, so I, I I think you've got to give him consideration. He he might be someone you give an interview for this just to hear what he has to say, even though he's probably not a, a serious candidate for the job. Um, Seth, let's get into a couple other um, mishmash topics here before we sign off for this week. Um, how much can Drew Aller build on that performance against Michigan State? I've seen a couple people talk about how important it was for him to, um, you know, get a little bit of confidence, see the ball go through the hoop a little bit, kind of like Joe Burrow did before having that breakout season um, in 2019. I think that's a high bar for, for a Drew Aller to clear. I think it's a high bar for anyone to clear. But but do you think that that beating Michigan State the way that they did is is something that he can kind of take away and 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 go into next season and and you know really build on that. 
Yeah, well, we thought it was going to be the Maryland game. Was it was going to be his big breakout right before Michigan? Oh, Drew Allers found his confidence. He's found his, his explosiveness at the right time. That wasn't the case. Um, but this is a little different because it's at season's end. Um, he's got a month off, which I think is maybe more important than any performance, um, is getting that rest. You know, this is a long, long season, especially for a 19-year-old kid who is new to it all. You know, last year he was a backup. He saw some time. but. Um, for the most part, he, he really didn't face any true adversity. Um, this year he did. You know, he saw the ups and downs. He, you know, cried post game, And, um, you know, there were happy times too, um, like the Michigan State game. So I do think that ending on a high note is, is important. Um, but I think that this, these next few weeks before the bowl game are going to be just as important, if not more, for him to really just clear his mind and reflect um, and, you know, begin to – kind of build on, on, you know, this past week and, and build towards, you know, the bowl game and, and more importantly, build toward 2024. Yeah. I don't want to diminish beating MSU the way that they did just because we, you know, we've seen them play teams that weren't great all season and, and not have the success that they had against Sparty. But then that was also a crew that I think was ready to get out of there, Seth, and ready to wrap things yeah. up. Um, so I don't, I think it remains to be seen, but, um, certainly better to have done what he did than not. Um, I'm going to ask a similar question with the, with the running backs. It looks like that running back room is going to stay intact. Nicholas Singleton, at least, was very definitive that he plans to come back next season. Um, do, can, can they be better next season and, and have performances like they had on, on um, Friday night if the receivers room is not vastly better? Because I think it's going to be I think it's going to be hard to make this receivers group vastly better than it was this season just through the transfer portal there's only so many players it's kind of a zero thumb game maybe you get one maybe you get two maybe you do get that program changing guy uh but but i think the the most likely scenario is that you have a, a similar talent level which means for those guys to get better they're gonna have to do it with without a ton of help at receiver did you see enough in in that msu game to make you believe that that they can be significantly better than they were this year it all comes down to consistency, which they didn't show the whole year. Um, you know, that was probably the best game of both of their years, all in the same game. It was the first time they ever rushed for 100 yards each um, and also appeared in the past game as well. You know, I think that would probably be the hope, and I think that was the hope this year, was that the backs were going to kind of bail out the wide receivers who were struggling to keep up, um, and that didn't work. You know, I think the, the – best plan for James Franklin and this offense moving forward is to be as balanced as you possibly can. And I think play calling goes into a lot of that. Um, but as we saw this year, it's not everything, you know, if your wide receivers aren't, aren't getting open um, or understanding the playbook, you know, that's, that's a problem. But I think there are a number of things that go into it. Um, but I don't think that you can truly be a successful program and, Make the playoff, maybe you can in a 12 team. I don't know, but it's going to be hard to do it in this expanded Big Ten if your offense isn't balanced, if you can't run and pass the ball on a consistent basis and do it confidently. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do think that they need to, uh, I think fixing the passing game is, part, I mean, that's why you fire Mike Yersich, right? Is is the, you're not scheming guys open. You didn't, you didn't get the easy throws for Drew Aller for a lot of, of the season, at least. Um, you know, kind of in those weighty situations. So, yes, I think the pass game needs to get better. 
I just I just wonder if the talent level is going to be vastly better, and I think that puts pressure on these running backs to be better than they were this season. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Seth, I mentioned the transfer portal. Um, I think receiver is obviously the the number one place that we're both looking. Can you can you do better than you did last season when you bring in Dante Sivas, Malik McLean? Um, kind of mixed results with those guys, especially in the big games this season. Um, do you have hope that they're going to get it right this time? And is there any other position that you're really looking at as um, a place that they really need to attack through the portal? Yeah, well, all of a sudden, Marcus Higgins, you know, one year into his tenure as wide receiver coach, you know, it's it's maybe not too uh, not too bright for him. Um, pretty pretty disastrous campaign on the wide receiver front, um, and it you know maybe says something the fact that he wasn't really able to you know, develop these transfer receivers like McLean or Cephas. Um, and it, it makes me not too confident moving into this new um, open portal um, that they're going to be able to do it with someone else. And if you're a wide receiver in the portal, you know, there's not too much, too much history um, to show that this is going to work. Um, especially when you consider the fact that, that they have barely used Keandre Lambert Smith, their number one receiver over the past three weeks you know he's had two receptions the past three games um you know that's that's concerning if i'm a receiver so i think they might struggle in that regard um i think there are a number of other programs and conferences that i think you'd you'd rather go to if you're a receiver but they need to target it you know they need those receivers to come in and um, replace you know what will be left um side of that you know tight ends potentially you know that was that was a big one. You know, we have yet to see if, if Warren and, and Theo Johnson are actually going to declare for the draft to return for another year. I think they go. You know, I think they're ready to go. And and they were they were what bailed out that receiving core the whole year. It was just big bodies, middle of the field for Aller, really important. Um, if they leave, that's, that's an even bigger hole in the offense um, and puts more pressure on the running backs. So might have to target that. Um, you know, cornerback, Kalen King. Johnny Dixon potentially leaving as well. Got to target that. You know, I know they have some depth at the position and there's some guys who can step up. Safety's going to be great next year, um, but that's something they might need to target. And then defensive line and, and, and those edges specifically to replace Chop Robinson and Adisa Isaac are going to be um, very important. Seth, we talked a little bit about Manny Diaz last week. Um, I think there was a level of confidence that a, a job was going to open that you'd say, hey, that's that's the one for him. I've seen a little smoke about the Duke job um, since Mike Elko left for Texas A&M. But that's that's a hard job, Seth. And, and is that the best fit for Manny Diaz? And is there a job that you look at right now and say, that's a place that, that he could could go and have a lot of success and should take that job rather than continue to be defensive coordinator at Penn State because I'm not quite there and I'm not saying that means I think um, you know Manny Diaz is not still going to go and, and potentially get a head coaching position this season I just don't see the home run uh, destination for him right now yeah I don't either you know you look at Duke which has been probably um, the one that would make the most sense of all you know considering his ACC experience but he didn't work in the ACC you know he he couldn't work at a, at a program like Miami um, I don't think you're going to find success at Duke. You know, Mike Elko going eight and four this year was considered, you know, a huge success um, for the Duke program. If that's like your bar, um, I don't think there's much else to go at Duke. Like, I think Manny is is going to stick around. Like, 
I think at a certain point, there's going to be an option that pops up, similar to how, like, with Brent Pry, um, he was offered head coaching positions, and Virginia Tech, he was waiting on. You know, that was the one that just made sense. None of these out there make sense um, yet. I think there are going to be some more openings that pop up, and uh, maybe there will be one that you go, oh, okay, like that that probably does it. Um, but as of right now, no, I'm, I'm not really seeing anything from Annie. Yeah, I mean, they just look like kind of like if you do a great job at a place like Duke, yes, you can go out and get the, the Texas A&M job. Um, yeah. you, can get, you can get good jobs, but it's, it's going to be hard work. And, and I think that, that you might have a similar path there with Penn State defensive coordinator um, where maybe you start, started, like to your point, with, with a more marquee program like, like Virginia Tech. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't see it. I think right now it's, it's probably better for him to stay, but we don't know how things will unfold. So we'll keep talking about that in the weeks ahead. Seth, I'm going to let you out of here on this, uh, rough weekend for the hoops team down in Florida. I caught most of the, uh, the game on Thanksgiving against Texas A&M. They got, I thought worked pretty well in the interior, especially late in that game. It just seemed like and one after and one after and one for Texas A&M, um, things did not really improve defensively. I don't think in those, those two games that I didn't get a chance to watch much of. Um, and did I get the right read on what's going on here is, is that it's going to be a struggle um, in the interior and, and, and how are you feeling about that? Yeah, no, you're, you're spot on. It's, it's basically, it's surprising because we thought that this was going to be a team that was going to lack offensive explosiveness and, and consistency um, and really show up on the defensive end. Uh, just based on Mike Rhodes' kind of system, what he what he showed at VCU the past few years, and that just was not the case, you know, this weekend against really the first tests of the year um, to come in and Texas A and M is one of the best teams in the country, specifically down in the paint, um, and that was the same case, you know, last year. Like they get to the foul line, they will beat you out and bully you, um, and Penn State really didn't have an answer for that. But I thought they played well in that game. You know, I thought it was promising. I thought they were going to be able to come back and beat Butler the next day. And that didn't happen either. You know, they, they just, they just struggled to kind of contain them. Um, They're, they're scoring, but they're really not stopping um, the attack as much as maybe they should. And then that VCU game, there are a number of things that went into it. Um, Kanye Clary was out basically the whole game with an injury. And um, it just is, you know, kind of a disaster. And what was a game that I think Mike Rhodes, needed to win um, on a personal note facing his former team. But um, going into to Saturday, you know, facing Bucknell, you'll get a win and um, hope to kind of regain momentum. Yeah, I, I think uh, the, the concern for me was was the defensive performance. I think sometimes you don't want to make too much of it because these preseason tournaments, there's not a lot of scouting that goes into them. You're, you're you know, squishing Thanksgiving dinner in, all of that. This is not, you know, Big Ten level scouting. Um, do you think that they can tighten the screws a little bit against the teams that they know and that 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 is you know where where their season is going to be determined um, far more so than a than a preseason tournament in in Orlando? It's possible, but what better team would would Penn State know and Mike Rhodes know than VCU? That's like true. he knows these guys literally personally. Like he coached them last year um, and wasn't able to come out on top. You know, lost by double digits, um, which is you know pretty sad for him um, to, to leave a program, go to a bigger program, um, leave his old school um, without anything and then, and then lose in pretty embarrassing fashion. 
Um, it, it wasn't great, you know, um, but we'll see, you know, you make a good point, you know, they, they scout these big 10 teams pretty, pretty tightly. Um, so I'm interested to see what happens once, once big 10 play comes around. Me as well, Seth, I, we, we got to watch something during the winter. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how things unfold with Mike Rhodes in this basketball program. But, um, until next time, everyone, um, we will, we'll be back next week. We'll talk a little bit more about how things seem to be unfolding. Um, and just make sure you subscribe to the channel. Got a lot of Steelers talk after this win against the Bengals. North Shore Drive with Christopher Carr will be on later on Wednesday. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed. And if you enjoyed this video, please pop a like on it. Help us out in the YouTube algorithm. We always appreciate that. Um, Seth, thanks for talking to me, and I'll, I'll see you again next week. Yep, thanks, Adam. Take care. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post-Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com.